Welcome to Estradile Illusions. We are taking another trip back to Park City, which is uh, honestly in all of the madness of 2020. I, I can't count the number of times I've said, well, thank God for Sundance, that we had uh, at least some fun before uh, everything went to shit. Not not long thereafter, but uh, one of the absolute, uh, one of my absolute favorites from the festival was a film, a very powerful film, and one that's actually uh, way more timely now than it was in January with some of the, the recent news that's uh, happened in Washington, so uh, I, I highly recommend that everybody checks out uh, Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always. We have uh, the star of the film, who's also a musician, who's just put out a, uh, her, with her band Stargis, just put out a new EP called Reminder. We have Sydney Flanagan here to chat with us. Uh, Sydney, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, hi, yeah. So my name is Sydney. I live in Buffalo, New York, where I was born and raised. I still live here. Um, I've been a musician for as long as I can remember, really. Um, and... Recently, I worked on a film, which is never rarely, sometimes always. Yeah, and I, I really, I, I really loved the film. And uh, you know, you see a lot of films that are about kind of current. I mean, abortion's been one, one kind of been one of the um, hot button issues for decades now. Even though, I mean, it, it, it really shouldn't be. It should should have been uh, something that people uh, moved on from back in the 70s, but uh, the uh, Roe v. Wade decision has kind of shaped a lot of the, uh, a, a lot of uh, conservative ideology, and they've been spending decades trying to uh, overturn it, and now with Amy Coney Barrett replacing Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the Supreme Court, uh, maybe they'll have a chance. I'm not entirely sure, but um, when the film came out, I was struck by how sort of, I guess the word soft-spoken would uh, would apply, how sort of raw and quiet the, the, the film was. Can you talk a little bit about, a little bit about how you uh, became attached to the role? Um, yeah, so, you know, I wasn't really pursuing an acting career. I was, you know, I was always playing music and stuff, and acting was never something I considered even doing, but when I was 14, I met the director, Eliza Hitman when she was, she was in Buffalo visiting because her partner, Scott Cummings, who's also a filmmaker, was making a film called Buffalo Jugglos, which was sort of a like participatory, performative, like not documentary, but almost like documentary type thing. It was, an interesting little short film, but at the time I was kind of hanging out on the outskirts of like with the people who were the subjects of this film. And uh, there was this like backyard wedding one day at this house and it was like a juggalo wedding and I was attending the wedding and Eliza met me there and she added me on Facebook and over the years kind of like kept tabs on me, you know, like I would post videos of myself playing music in my bedroom and stuff. And um, so then I was, when I was 20, I got an email from Scott saying that Eliza was working on this film and that they were, they wanted me to come audition for the role. And it was really bizarre. Like it came out of nowhere. And I was like, I kind of remember meeting these people. It was so long ago. And um at first, I was just like, 
I don't know if this is something I can do. Like, <laughs> um, I've never acted before. Um, so it was a scary idea. But then I, you know, discussed it with some friends and they were all just like, why not at least try? And so I was like, yeah, it'd be interesting to challenge myself and it could be really rewarding. And I really adored the script and the story was so powerful to me. And it felt like some strange twist of fate and like something felt like it was pushing me towards it. So I went and did, I went and auditioned not really knowing what to expect and not too much longer. I got a phone call saying that I got the role and, and you know, then everything happened from there and it's still kind of wild when I look back on it, but it, it, it was a really transformative experience and, I don't know, I feel like it's something that I was like supposed to do in some way. So when I, I remember I was at, well, I was staying at what, what was sitting in one of the lobbies of one of the various hotels that was pretty much just full of people who needed somewhere to go to get out of the cold. And somebody, I had already seen it. And I think it, it must've been the next day. And somebody, I was, I was writing up my review and somebody said, Oh, that was, I was like, that was like such a, uh, I was talking about how great your performance was. And they said, well, that was Sydney Flanagan's debut. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, and, there, and it was like, not, not even, not even like, like, fil- like not even film debuts, your acting debut. And I'm, I was like, no fucking way. Like no way was it, it, your, your performance had so much nuance. And so I, I see a lot of, I, I see a lot of films that have, very type A performances that are trying to win, win over the audience. And a lot of them really succeed in that regard. And the way that you took the role was, you know, your, your character autumn was, was, you know, very reserved, uh, very guarded for, for obvious reasons, but it was, it was kind of one of those things where um, Eliza Hitman placed an incredible amount of faith in the audience to to follow along. There wasn't really a point in the film where I felt that she as a director or you as the lead were were really trying to win the audience over. You were really just trying to do your own thing and and uh, you know I always I always appreciate that when I'm not where I don't feel like I'm I'm being uh, taken along for the ride. You know, it's kind of one of those things where uh, as as a viewer you kind of have to jog along to keep up because it's so um it just it was so gut wrenching and, and powerful. I just I, I can't can't speak highly enough of, of your performance. It really was one of my favorites from the festival. Oh well thank you. Um yeah, I mean I think that's a really interesting point because like when I watch the film, it doesn't feel like uh there's like an agenda or like anything's being imposed on onto me, like even watching as an audience member. And it it just feels like we're like allowed to just kind of like sit and watch like through a keyhole into this like person's life and it's so private and intimate and you can kind of like make your own decisions about how to feel about it and I don't know like I just enjoy that it's like a it's an you know an issue film but it doesn't feel like one I I completely agree, and it, it's it's I mean probably more so than any other topic in, in terms of like uh, I mean I hate to use the word like political, but I mean that's 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 where we're at in twenty twenty right now with yeah. um, uh, 
with with the way that people are, are handling this. But you see just so much uh, incendiary rhetoric used uh, about this topic, about abortion, about uh, a simple woman's right to choose. You know, we should be beyond that. We're not. And like it's depicted in the film uh, quite well in the beginning. But but you see these people just like. I, I've I've spoken to people who who really can't even control themselves when they're talking about it. They like want to want to like scream and stuff. And I want to say to them like, look, like that that's that's not helping anyone. Like you screaming about, you know, wanting to people running around yelling about baby. Like you you see you see real life videos of of what people do outside abortion clinics, and you're like, you know, that's that's not really a pro life position there. I'll tell you that. Um, and it. You know, to take that kind of uh, uh, approach of, of of not injecting anything other than really the the raw particulars of of Autumn's situation, and uh, you know, for for listeners who haven't seen the film, Autumn is uh, an she's she's not a legal adult; she's a teenager who gets uh, pregnant and lives in in Phil- uh, Pennsylvania, not Philadelphia, and needs to, which uh, in that state requires uh, parental consent for an abortion. So Autumn and her cousin have to travel to New York to get the procedure. And it was just such a matter of fact delivery about it that was. It, 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 I remember once I once I'd written my review the next day. I one of my friends is uh, his wife is is militantly pro life, just like I'm not like. Every time she opens her mouth, like, she's a single issue Trump voter because of that, and it's it's absurd. And uh, I'll send her this this podcast afterwards. She should listen to that. But I was saying to her, like, look, regardless of how you feel about this 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 topic, you should watch this film because it, it'll it'll kind of it, it'll sober you up about this and just calm down. Like like this isn't something that you need to come in and scream about and try to force uh, women to to give up control of their own bodies. I, I just, the, the way that the way that the film tackled that was just so powerful. Yeah. And I mean, when it comes to like, you know, sort of like the extremism of people who, you know, are radically pro-life or even radically pro-choice. I mean, you know, we're at, especially right now, we're in a place in our country where people are deeply, deeply divided on so many different levels and, no one's really talking to each other. It's more sort of this sense of moral superiority going on. And, um, you know, people aren't really thinking about the other side of the conversation. They're only seeing what they see. I mean, it, another issue is that we, is like we get on social media and we watch certain like biased news outlets and people are only getting the propaganda that agrees with their narrative and it creates this echo chamber. So like everybody on either side of the issue when it comes to abortion or multiple other issues, there's really no conversation right now. There's such a huge gap. So like, you know, I hope, I hope like tools like such as music and art and film, like, and such as this film can, you know, kind of bridge that gap sometimes, you know, if we can all see that like, it's not, like it, it, you know, it doesn't demonize it as much as like you might see someone on like Fox News saying yeah. about abortions, but then you see this film that's this like realistic story about this like this is a real person and it's not dramatized or like it's not like hysterical. It's 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 grounded, and I hope that like it can you know appeal to people's humanity 
you know, like really touch them emotionally and not in a way that's, um, not in a way that's like intended to like, I don't know, like just turn you over to like turn your political opinion. Like we're not just trying to turn political opinions, you know, it's about, it's more than that. It's about compassion. I mean, just the, the, the fundamental humanity to, to, to see a woman as somebody who deserves, a, a, a say in the matter, r- regardless of uh, you know whether you actually think they should have the the, the choice, but whether to actually to, to be able to participate in it versus uh, like early on in the film when where Autumn is at a um, I guess it was it was really well uh, portrayed in the film as uh, like I, I guess they were religiously affiliated, but it wasn't like all over the place, and it was kind of a thing that you could imagine a teenager who's scared and doesn't really know. A, hasn't done anything about this and goes in and then you're just kind of calmly the person's very soft-spoken the the friendly uh worker there it just starts laying in on this propaganda stuff and as the audience you know you kind of suspect what's coming and then you're like yeah i mean there was i don't know if you've seen the the borat sequel that just came out i have not yeah, there's a there's a scene where uh in character Sacha Baron Cohen's Borat character takes uh uh his in the within the joke it would be his daughter and takes him to a similar clinic, a real life one though, and is saying that that uh, her daughter's pregnant about with with an incest ba- with his baby, in, a baby of incest and the person is like clearly uncomfortable and is basically like look if it's an incest baby, God wanted this to happen. No abortion. Like you can't do this. And it's like, good Jesus Christ. Like I was thinking of your film when I was watching it and I was like, this is, this is absurd. And I mean, it's also, if you just take a step back and look at like the state of the political discussion about it, I was, um, when I was at, when I was seeing your film at the premiere, I had gotten there a bit early. It was the second day of Sundance and I had no idea where to go yet. I hadn't figured out the bus schedule uh, which really wasn't that hard. So, I mean, that's really all, I horrible with directions. But I get there, and I got to the Press Express line, and I think I actually saw you backstage. I was looking for the bathroom at one point because I got bored in the line. <laughs> um, but I, I made friends with a British journalist, and she was asking me, she was like, you know, this is an abortion film. Is this is this like an open discussion in the U.S.? And I, I my answer at the time was really, well, it shouldn't be, but but yeah, it, it it's always kind of there. And I was kind of explaining to her, like, look, right now, you know, even even with uh, Trump in the White House and uh, Mitch McConnell controlling the Senate, like, they're not really going to try and ban abortion outright. And I, I was like, well, the real kicker is if, if you know, the Supreme Court goes out, out of balance. But I was prefacing that, like, constantly, because fresh in my mind was the uh, their attempts to repeal Obamacare. And w- when when President Obama was in office— and they had control of the House and the Senate, they would pass repeal Obamacare on like a weekly basis. And then as soon as they get somebody in the White House, suddenly they're like, oh, this is actually going to be difficult. Maybe we maybe we should pump the brakes on this a little bit. And then they tried to anyway, and it didn't work. But I, I, I was trying to explain to her, like, look, I, I think this is something that is used to really re- sort of ignite the, the radicals in their base and just kind of rile up the crazy. Like uh, if you turn on a Trump rally, most of that stuff is not, in reality, they're all cheering like it's all true, <sighs> but, but that's not like actual policy. That's just stuff that he's. It's it's, it's like it's political entertainment essentially. But mm-hmm. and then I I started thinking to myself because I mean Amy Coney Barrett was obviously always kind of the one 
who was most likely, if something did happen to Ruth Bader Ginsburg or to one of the other justices, was was probably going to be the nominee after Trump nominated uh, Gorsuch and Kavanaugh. And as I was, I, as a as a transgender woman, as as somebody who is uh, really concerned about intersectionality, I mean, Amy Coney Barrett, a- Amy Coney Barrett should scare the shit out of anybody who cares about like a, another human being, like period. But um, the more I thought about that, the more I'm like, you know, m- maybe maybe they will try. I I, I don't know. I, I, it, it scares it scares me. That's for sure. Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> it's um, I think. Every day has been increasingly terrifying with every new bit of news. I've been like, I I personally have gotten, I have re- pretty much removed myself from social media and I've only been getting my news now from like actual news sources rather than just like getting on Facebook and seeing. Oh yeah, that's Yeah, the- and because it was just too, just getting on the internet and it was, people call it doom scrolling Oh yeah, where you just yep. scroll and you just get depressed. So now I just get depressed for like the hour that I spend watching Democracy Now or something. Um, yeah, yeah. It's there's just so much going on, and the abortion thing is now like with Amy Coney Barrett. It's there's there's definitely like a huge tension, and people yeah. are scared. <laughs> yeah, I don't like. I, I I've been covering the the Nexium beat. Oh, well, you're in Buffalo. You're probably somewhat familiar with uh, them. They were in Albany, um, the the sex cult. And I'm like, great. We have we have Amy Coney Barrett from the People of Praise, which is its own kind of cult. Not as not as bad as Nexium, but uh, I wouldn't want either on the Supreme Court. That's for sure. Uh, I you you mentioned you mentioned social media. I, I had a question. Um, did you get like? Did, did you get any sort of backlash from the the pro life people when this came out? Um, not really, honestly. Um, there's times where like, like I've never had anyone like personally reach out to me. I've seen like a couple, you know, weird articles on the internet that are on just like just a couple of yahoos, you know, like that nobody's gonna read it, but I just stumbled upon it because I try to look up reviews and stuff, but no one's like really personally reached out to me. It was just like, you're a monster. Like, um, the only thing that occasionally happens is I'll post something, you know, that's considered radical or left wing and I'll get, I'll lose followers, but that's the only thing that happens. Um, like I noticed I lost a few followers immediately after I posted a photo of a shirt I got that said defund the police. Uh, a lot of my black lives matter type posts. I lost followers too, which was, um, I don't really care. <laughs> so just yeah. like good, I'd rather not. Yeah. Um, so that's the only thing really. You know, that, that kind of surprises me. I, I, I say this as somebody, I will get probably three or four times a week. Like, uh, you're sometimes it's over DM or people are still angry. I wrote a, a bad review of uh Dave Chappelle special last September and it made international news and conservative people were, on their radio shows were uh, hammering me. And that was like uh, stop for a couple weeks, but um, I still like, get the rogue one of that. And when I was kind of like sort of thinking of what questions to ask, I'm like, well, you know, with the world as, Oh, and you had mentioned doom scrolling. If anybody's, if anybody listening is currently doom scrolling, um, you know, podcasts are better paired with like a coloring book or maybe a walk through nature or something 
because it, it is something, especially in, in, in COVID, it's something that uh, you can lose like an hour, an hour and a half. Uh, you can lose an hour and a half just getting sucked into the, the void and you don't come out necessarily all the better for it. You don't necessarily come out with um, tons of uh, tons of great information. And it's certainly, I don't know, it makes me it makes me think that it makes me sort of grateful that I, I graduated college like right around the time that that social media was really starting to pick up like pre pre snap. I guess Snapchat was kind of around, but I, it, 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 it scares me. And I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about that because I'm thinking about your music with uh Sturgis and you've got a very, between the cover and this, the, the songs, it's, it's, it's like very reminiscent of the nineties. And I'm thinking like, how fun would it be to be at a punk club again? Oh yeah. I mean, I definitely, miss shows a lot um they're pretty much my lifeline and not being able to play them right now is really sad especially because like I started this band like right like a few months before COVID was a thing but those few months I was also traveling a lot doing press for the film so I didn't have much time to dedicate to my band and then COVID became a thing and it wasn't until like a few months into that that we actually started practicing with each other again and then we finally like had enough songs that we were like well let's just like record three songs real quick and put them out so we can have something out there for now um yeah what was that like to to record you you you've recorded them during covid i would assume yeah Uh, yeah what was that like um well we recorded at a place called flower house studios which is like a diy studio in our friend's attic um it's at a house called Noiseland Arcade that they used to throw, they threw like house shows and punk shows all the time. Um, and they, they've, they've stopped throwing shows there, I think like a year or two ago, but the, one of the guys who live there still has, he's in a band called August Cinder. And so he built his own studio in his house to record his band. So we went and recorded with him there. Um, and it was fun uh, it was interesting because since it's like a super DIY setup in a house, like our drummer was playing in the basement. And oh, like yeah, my, yeah. Bass, my bassist and I were upstairs with like headphones on playing. It was very weird being so separated from each other. But um, uh-huh. And then there was like a little separate room in the attic where you kind of rigged up like a rec- like voice vocal recording booth type thing. Um, I know I... I pretty much like was raised in the punk scene and like with a very like, and you know, I've always been very broke. So I've always had a very DIY approach to a lot of the things I do. So like we've like, we've, I've, I just learned, I taught myself how to screen print. So I've been making our shirts with a thrifted t-shirts from the thrift store. Um, Just whatever. Yeah. Just pinching every penny we can. But like, you know, I just, it's, there's, there's really no, like, um, there's no really, like, it's not like there's a financial incentive to what we do. Um, we just really, I, you know, I know I personally just always really enjoy making music and I think it could be healing and it could be inspiring or it can just, you know, it's, it's just a nice, it's just a nice thing that exists. And, um, I like utilizing it in any way possible and, you know, even if I don't have the best recording studio or like any of that, like I'm just happy to put something out there. 
Well, that's kind of what I found. Um, I'm more my my in, in terms of like uh, music that I would go to see. Um, I'm a huge sucker for '80s new wave, but I really like. Um, we have a uh, we have a record store that's probably about a ten minute walk from me, and the guy who's major major uh like really big into local politics and he owns a small space uh next to his record shop which is a uh i i I guess it's i guess it qualifies as a theater it's not like terribly big they have hosted we've had um the the few times i've been there i've either been for punk shows or for bernie sanders like campaign meetings so that's been yeah. kind of cool that's probably something i i looked at your twitter feed that's i i was smiling when i was looking at that because i i got a really good image of like punk punk is a you know you don't need to have something that's like you know totally you don't need to go have it produced at like abbey road or some like big place <laughs> it, it's something that brings people together and you know some some of the some of the shows we've been to see there like when i've dragged my partner along she's like well who's playing i'm like i don't really know and she's like why do you want to go i'm like well it's a punk show you don't you kind of just you know you take it you you roll the dice and that's kind of i mean that's kind of the fun of it and that's what i would do in college at least yeah uh, and it it you, i mean you think about that kind of energy of just like being in a room with uh you know, 50 or so people, you may not know a lot of them and you're all kind of there for the same reason. And, uh, you, you've essentially got 50 friends there. I mean, I'm sure a couple of them would probably be assholes, but you never find out. That's the point of the show. It's fun. You're there together and then it's over and you see them all the next show. That's, that's kind of the beauty of the genre, I think. Yeah. There's definitely like a culture and there's a, there's a deep sense of community. And I, you know, like my dad was in a punk band, so I was growing up with I have like a bunch of like quote unquote aunts and uncles, which are just all the like, because uh, my parents were in their early 20s when they had me. So, like, all their like friends, they're like, you know, from the scene were also like, I was the only like one of their friends that had a kid. So, like, I was like all of their kids. <laughs> and, um, you know, like, they all like, I had so many different babysitters that were like people with mohawks and weird shit. And, um, so when I got, so when I was like in high school, I naturally gravitated towards, you know, the punk scene myself and got affiliated with my generation of punk and started playing music out when I was like 16 and I would play basement shows and cafes and stuff and meet other people. And, uh, and then I discovered that like, there's a lot of other, <laughs> there's a lot of other people and something about growing up on the East coast too. I feel like with the winter, like really hardens people yeah. <laughs> and we all just like kind of find each other like all these kids that maybe had like you know like hard home lives or you know dealt with mental illnesses or just like had a hard time or just felt weird and they all kind of found each other and I love that feeling because it was just everyone's so supportive of each other even now like all the people I know are people I know from the punk scene or the music scene and there's there's they're all just so like warm and supportive people. And there's, there's also a really great overlap of like, you know, kind of like activist culture in punk scene too. So like all the people I see at shows are the same people I see at protests. And it's just nice that like this genre could like bring these people together, create a community and also radicalize them. I think it's really cool. Yeah. And I mean, you always get the, you see the people who say like uh, they tell uh, 
I'm thinking of Laura Ingram at Fox News telling LeBron James to shut up and dribble or keep 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 film and politics separate. It's like no, I mean these are places and and with punk as a as, as music, it's it's a way to bring people together who uh, have similar ideologies, operate on on the same wavelength. And I mean, what I found with punk is you find a lot of people who actually give a shit about other people, which is always nice. Um, yeah. And it's it's because and and you see like it's just a, it's a way to productively channel the the angst and then you know you get to you know the next day you get to work and uh, you try to make the world a better place and you know it, you don't want to you don't want to neuter sterilize uh, art in that kind of sense and um, I wanted to ask you because when I found out when I when I found out you were a musician also I thought a lot about the fact that. Um, Autumn as a character is is very sort of closed off, is very quiet, and then you hear you sing, and it's like that's a like I'm not I, I don't really think otherwise. I think if I if I heard you singing, I would probably not uh, draw the connection between the two. And I, I think in terms of uh, artistic uh, expression, those are just two very 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 different wavelengths. Can you talk about your process between? Um, your emotionally charged lyrics uh, as a performer and then kind of how, how you have to uh, reinvent yourself for, for acting? Um, yeah, I mean, so as a musician, I, you know, I, I've always written a lot about like my personal life and I think it's because it started as like playing, like songwriting started as kind of like journal, it was like journaling for me when I was in high school, I wrote songs. Like I do not write nearly as many songs now as I did when I was in high school because I was, cause high school is crazy and you're going through so much weird yeah. shit in your brain and puberty and all that fun stuff. And so I was writing a song like all the time. It was my outlet. It was how I channeled things. It was how I got closure. Um, because it was essentially like, like, you know how someone might write in a journal every day. Um, and so like, when I'm performing, it's always been a release for me and a way to reach out and and feel like a sense of communion with other people. Like I'm not the only person who feels this way and um, just to feel validated and help other people validated and just kind of like, I don't know, just all those emotions, just like put them out there and hope other people pick up on it type of thing. And then with the acting, um, it was different because I wasn't, because I wasn't performing as Sydney, you know, so, um, I did have to like tone down my performance a bit because it was like, because I, I was autumn, she was a little more reserved, a little quieter, but at the same time, it felt like, I felt like I did put a piece of myself into her because the, the two moments in the film where she does sing, are like the moments where I like where to me at least it felt like that was her way of like saying something without saying it like uh-huh. you know just kind of like it's like it was like her like that was the place she can go to to like just emotionally release something and yeah, yeah. well I, I saw like there's kind of a punk quality in in autumn in the sense that she's she's so strong-willed and she's a pull her up by her bootstraps kind of person doesn't want to 
ask for help. I mean, at times in the film, you're you're kind of wanting to scream at the TV, like you know, take take the olive branch, it's there, like just you know. But I mean, it, you 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 brought up you know high school. I mean, that that is a period of uh of one's life where yeah, I mean, you're it's 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 crazy. I mean, I. A couple of years ago, when I when I first started my transition, and people are like, "Well, what 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 do the hormones feel like?" I'm like, "Well, it's the second puberty. Remember, remember high school? You want to do that again? Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, that's that's what that's like." Um, so, so I could definitely, I could definitely relate relate to her there, and, and in the sense that, you know, there's there's she's, and I, I I guess I mean the more the more I think about it, with like um, the way that the the first clinic the i don't know if you can call it a clinic that place was a propaganda outlet um they i mean with the way that they approached her to um you know kind of a once bitten twice shy kind of dynamic almost like i'm not sure i'd want help after that really kind of event that could right yeah yeah because she goes to the crisis center first and she's just totally she feels totally duped and she's like you know, she went somewhere thinking like this is a safe space and it wasn't. So, you know, of course she's going to be cautious and um, skeptical and weary of the people she comes into contact with, especially because like there's all this shame wrapped up in, you know, what she has and what she's doing. Like, and it's unfortunate because it should, it shouldn't be this complicated, but it is. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And I mean, also when I feel like when you're a teenager, you're like way more scared of those circumstances than you would be maybe as an adult, because you've had more experience, um, just with life in general. And cause I, like, I think back, like sometimes when I would, like when I was reading the script, I was like, why would she do that? But then I'm like, well, when I was like 16, I might've done something similar. Like, I'm not sure what the, the thought process would be that would lead there but like i know i probably would have um yeah I, I i do a fair bit of that that myself and i mean it it it's kind of a great testament to the 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 power of the film though i i, I think a lot when i talk um in, in political activism or, or with people um kind of the hot bush button issue that that um that that's really near and dear to me uh within the lgbtq community is um, the the toxicity surrounding you see you see a lot of the similar strands with um, uh, the abortion debate as as like well it, w- with regard to to transgender health in general but also uh, particularly with with trans kids and you see all this misinformation a lot of it's been stirred by the uh, author of those wizard books um, oh J.K. Rowling yeah. Uh, um, turf <laughs> <laughs> she keeps like threatening to sue people i'm like look my partner's a lawyer come yeah I, i'm in the u.s like you want to play that game uh i'll take all the publicity you want to throw at me jk rowling she, she's, threatened, <laughs> she's threatened to sue some of my friends and it's like you know what uk a little different but i see these people who are just like like as somebody who's been been through plenty of the surgical procedures and has been in, I have a lot of firsthand experience with doctors who deal with transgender kids. And like, I say to these people who are like, like listening to this propaganda stuff and talking about, um, sort of all these like, uh, fear stories that they've been, been fed. Like, look, 
these are these are medical doctors. This is not some like backroom uh, butchery. The kind that the same people are advocating for with regard to women's health. And I'm like, look, guess what? You're you're not your role is not needed in this debate. Like this is between a family, their kid, and their doctor. And uh, if there's a legal issue, uh, the courts will handle it. You. On the other hand, like when I'm talking to these people, like you don't have a role to play in this. You can have the opinion, but like nobody should have to live their life guided by this this nonsense that you think that isn't really based on anything. Like we we have guardrails and they're pretty good. I I, I don't think there's this epidemic, but you know the people who go around saying oh baby killer and all of that. I mean, I mean it's become such a parody because especially with the with what's happened at the border with the kids in the cages it's like oh well, yeah is that is that pro-life <laughs> like what are you what's what about those kids those kids came out of the womb you wanted them like why don't you care about these kids it's pro-life right when when does life end in pro-life i don't know oh yeah i mean it's the same people that you know are mad about the blm protests and are like oh well like you know, don't value black life or they don't value any, it's at the end of the day, it comes down to their, their hypocrites and their, they just want to be morally superior and they're just regurgitating propaganda that they've been spoon fed and it's sad, but you know, at the end of the day, like these people don't, they don't value any life except, you know, like white unborn life, it seems. And somebody like Autumn has to shoulder the burden. Like one of the other things is like, I don't want to support taxpayer funded abortion, which like if you word it like that, it it doesn't pull all that well. But like I always point out to people like if you did a poll where you said, you know, do you support lung cancer treatments for lifelong smokers like that would not pull that, that hasn't pulled that well either. And it's like, look, thank God that, you know, health isn't really isn't isn't dictated healthcare isn't dictated by public uh public opinion in this and these i think it's honestly really a lot of this is is the product of of what we were kind of talking about earlier of this the 24-hour news cycle the 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 media i mean fox news will roll out this stuff i was watching i was flicking and uh i turned on Sometimes, sometimes if I'm I'm getting stoned a little bit, I like to put on <laughs> Lou, Lou Dobbs for like five minutes because he's just so batshit crazy, and he's got like somebody talking about their new abortion book, and I was just like, this is like this is why is this on the news? Like this is like this is something like your uncle would talk about for five minutes at Thanksgiving before he screamed at him, shut up, and um, yeah, I actually had no idea how severely nauseating Fox News was. Because I've never actually, like, watched Fox News. I never... I don't even... Like, I haven't had cable in years. I don't watch Fox News. And I didn't know how bad it really was until I started watching... Um, I recently started watching Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. Oh, yeah. And um, he plays a lot of clips from Fox News on there. And I was just like, oh, my God. I did not realize... Like, but it was like kind of eye-opening to like, this is what like the other side, like, you know, the, the other side is seeing, like, this is the propaganda they're being fed. Like, this is one of the most watched news channels. It's so sad because it's just crazy. Like, it's not, it's so obviously biased and it's just terrifying. 
Yeah, I, I I must have laughed for like a solid ten minutes when so one of their one of their one of Fox News is you're, they have these they they roll them out these like prepackaged controversies that, that they have every year. But I mean, probably the most well known would be the War on Christmas, where they say <laughs> yeah. like Star- Starbucks, Red Cup, all of that. I mean that that's literally like that's their create like them and Fox and Friends and Bill O'Reilly did that uh, way back when, but. The news leaked that Melania Trump really hated decorating the White House for Christmas. And it's like, well, the the wars the wars in the White House. Like this is, I thought you guys were supposed to be like, you know, Joe Biden, the the devout Catholic. He's against God, all of that. But I mean, it's just it's just crazy, and I, I don't. It's it's you know, it, it, it's a great case for the value of um, your film or uh, John Oliver gives you a half hour of fact-based logical stuff. You, you you don't see people coming out fact-checking John Oliver. Like he got this, that, or that wrong. Like it's very, and, and, and it's, it's, he's often quite funny in a way that's almost kind of sad because <laughs> yeah. you know, the material shouldn't be there to be joked about in the first place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. It's, it's definitely like, it's one of those things where I watch where it's like, oh, this is a nice summary of something that's going on. And it's like, and it's, whenever it's getting just a little too dark, then he like kind of makes a joke and I'm like, oh, okay, I feel slightly better. Yeah, uh, that's, uh, aye, aye, aye. Um, back to, I had, a, I had a one fun um, from the premiere of, uh, of Never, rarely, sometimes, always. You know, I did that title ever trip you up? Actually, before I get to my, uh, I'll in, interject a question into the question I was about to ask because I got very, very, very good at saying all, all the the correct order. Like, because it was it was one of the probably like the fifth of the six I'd seen it. <laughs> I've actually never had a problem saying it. I I never had that problem. I used to say never. Something it got in my head. That that was one that I was. The film, I was really grateful to the film because I think that was the second I was writing for Fansided at the time. And that was one of the, that was the second one I'd been assigned. And the first one had been earlier that day, Zola. And I was sitting there like thinking like, you know, because you're thinking about what, what, what you'd want to say in a review before you've seen the film. And then, of course, the film, the actual film changes everything you'd want to say anyway. So there's no point even bothering to prepare. But I was watching, I'm like, okay, this is, this is, I was honestly probably one of the easier film reviews I've had to write. And some of them you just sit in front of your screen for a while and don't know what to say. And I was like, this, this is one of the best cases, presentations of a social issue. And I get pitched like tons of documentaries that are like, make the case, like Trump is awful, all of that. And he is, but I'm like, this 90 minute feature didn't do a great, like, this is not what I would use to, to prove that point. However, when it comes to never, rarely, sometimes, always, I would show that to every. If I could, I would. I would buy airtime on Fox News. I'd buy ni- uh, ninety minutes or however, however long the film was, and I'd just run it, and I'd say, "All of you guys, you should watch this." And maybe you don't agree afterward, but see a human being going through this and try to go scream at the clinic again. Yeah. Um- I wanted to ask, or I wanted to mention because your film—I think your film was the third premiere that I saw at Sundance. And as I was sitting, and um, Ethan Hawke walked by me, and that was like the first time that I'd seen a celebrity who, like, I wasn't at a film premiere. Like when I saw Taylor Swift, I didn't really freak out because 
it was at Miss Americana and she was supposed to be there, but he walked by and I was like, oh my God, this is so cool. Did you, did you get a chance to meet Ethan Hawke? I don't think I did. I, I like noticed some people, it was funny cause like, I forgot who it was, but like we passed by someone and my partner was with me and they were like, oh, is that so-and-so? We were like, that looks just like, or we said, that looks just like this person. And one of the people I was with were like, was like, we're at Sundance. Like it mostly really is, like, most likely really is that person. If that happened like several yeah. times, I was like, wow, this is really cool. <laughs> it's really interesting. Yeah, it was fun going up and down Main Street for a bit um, and, and kind of doing that. But then like the crowds and I, I was... I think like three or four days in, I was like, okay, I'm done with Main Street. I'm starstruck out. I'm not gonna, all the, all the noise and commotion. But when, when Ethan Hawke walked by me, I, I, it was like one of those, those moments where I was like, okay, this is, this is Sundance. This is, this is what happens at, this is like, you know, as a film aficionado and everybody listening is probably in the same boat because, why would you be listening to a a film podcast? Otherwise, uh, it, it, you know, you, you, you see the power of, um, of film as a, as a community. And then you see like an, it's always great when you see an actor or a musician or something who really does actually like their, their craft. Cause I mean, sometimes that doesn't happen. And, uh, I'm sorry. You said that sometimes you see people that don't actually like their craft. Well, like, like Hugh, Hugh, Gra- Hugh, Hugh Grant, as an example, as an actor thinks acting is very stupid. And oh, oh, does he's he? a good, yeah, he's a good actor, but like you watch a film like his and he's like, Oh, he's just, he, I don't know. I mean, people do things for the money, but, um, I don't know when it, it's always nice when you find somebody who's like really passionate and they go and he had a film that he was there for and he's still going around and, uh, uh Ethan Hawke, I mean, and, uh, he was, uh, you know, it's nice to see people like that going and check out the other stuff and, if I, I I thought that must have been like really cool to uh, for for a for a premiere like yours to have all that kind of attention and it did really well. It won a grand jury award. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the whole time I was there, it was still kind of like, I mean, even just like being on set, like ever since this like journey of mine has started, I've still am like I don't even know if this is really happening. <laughs> because <laughs> it's so it's so surreal going from like my life in buffalo and then going because like i was i'm a janitor so that's still what i do and i mean not right now because of covid but i'm still laid off but you know it's so funny like hanging out with like my the maintenance crew at the at the convention center at my job in the break room and then being like all right guys i'll see you in a week i'm going to sundance <laughs> like like well, and then just coming back and just resuming that, you know, it's just weird. It feels like, it feels like a double life in a way. I I know exactly, like, I was literally crying when I had to leave eventually and after, like, eight days. And I, like, I really didn't want to go back to the real, and actually, if I'd known it was COVID, I would have just stayed for the entire thing. I mean, I, I think I was, like, 10 weeks from having, like, I had major uh, facial feminization and bottom surgery 10 weeks before Sundance, so I, like, it was kind of touch and go of whether I was even going to be able to go, like, health-wise. Yeah. And then it was just, like, 
Oh my god! Like I, I, as somebody who's like involved in in like art house theater and and like local local theaters, I mean, you hear so much, you hear so often about like the power of community within film, and then I saw it, and I'm like, you know, this I could go to one of these every week. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I love the experience of Sundance so much, and also when we went to Berlin, that was really. Amazing. Oh my god, that yeah. must have been so awesome. It was really cool. Um the the premiere there was just so it was so amazing. Like the the audience was so warm and receptive and just support like there was just so so much like love in the room and you could really feel it and it was like overwhelming in a really good way. Um Did you did you get the sense that they kind of understood there that the American uh sort of the way that America has handled uh, ab- abortion rights and women's reproductive rights is just such a backwards disaster. Like, did, did that kind of translate to that audience? Yeah, I kind of felt that. It also felt, I don't know, there was just like a general warmth for like, it felt like just even for the film, like just for, you know, like the cinema and like there was just such a support overall for like every aspect of the film you know, just as a film on its own. And then also as like with the uh, kind of the content of the film and uh-huh. yeah, I don't know. It was just really, there was, there was a lot of warmth over there and it was and also at Sundance, but it was just like, really, it was just really amazing overall. <laughs> yeah. And I, I, you know, for, for a film that was as powerful as uh, never rarely, sometimes always, um, you know, to, to, to have like those great premieres and then COVID happens and then the whole video on demand, um, cause you, you, you've had to, or the distribution and all of that has had to do a complete 180 in terms of like, uh, you know, you don't have the packed, packed theaters and it's a little harder to connect with people, but, uh, I guess we're seven, six, seven months into to dealing with all that. And, uh, you know, life finds a way to quote, quote the great philosopher, uh, Ian Malcolm from Jurassic Park. Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> um, I so to uh, as we start to wrap up, I I noticed on Twitter you were a Kevin Smith fan. Uh, what's your favorite <laughs> Kevin Smith movie? Um, Mallrats is my favorite. That's a great uh, choice. Yeah, I usually because I really love all of them, but Mallrats is definitely I had if if I pick a favorite, it's that one for sure. It's yeah, I think that's probably the most endearing of them, just the intimacy and uh one of the films at Slam Dance, the sort of Sundance, the it ha- takes place at the same time was um it was a was about a dying shopping mall in Alabama and I thought about Mall Rats. So I actually watched Mall Rats after we had that and Jasper Mall the directors have been on this show for listeners the continuity. We have not done a Mall Rats episode though. But um I, I really, for listeners, I, I can't recommend, uh, Sydney Flanagan's music is, is fantastic. I can't recommend it enough. Uh, it's, it's very raw. And if you see that, if you watch never, rarely, sometimes always, I don't think I've screwed up that, that title at all during the uh, recording, but if you watch, <laughs> if you watch the film and you learn how to say the film properly, uh, or maybe you'd never had a problem at all. Uh, it, it's one of those films that I really you know, when when people ask me for film recommendations, something like that can be, you know, you don't want to necessarily say, you know, if they're looking for something like, it's not necessarily the most lighthearted material, but it's such a powerful film. And you really gave one of the most brilliant performances I've seen all year. I watch a lot of movies. I don't say that lightly. Thank I know you. the 
the power of, you know, you can't say that about everybody and you shouldn't say that about everybody, but it really was, if I think about, I think we had an IndieWire critic poll and they were saying like best performances or something. I, I know I had you listed somewhere on that and it was just so, I, again, I'll, I'll say, I'll, I'll repeat myself, but my jaw just totally dropped when I found out that was your acting debut. It's incredible. <laughs> Thank you. And, uh, so I'll link to your uh, I'll link to uh, reminder and I'll a uh, great cover up by the way, Thank and you. it's beautiful. It reminds me a lot of the Smashing Pumpkins, one of a couple of their albums. Very very vintage. It's very 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 intriguing. That's like the same vibe I got. I commissioned an artist that I know in Seattle, um, who on Instagram goes by Mousy mostly. Um, uh huh. They're an amazing artist and they do all these and I follow them on Instagram and they do all these really cool collages and stuff. So when I was looking for art for this, I just gave them the name of the band and the, and the, and the EP. And I was like, just run with it, whatever you want to do. And they were like, Oh, I can't wait to play with this. And then they got back to me in three days with that cover. I was just like, this is sweet. And I also like, it gave me a smashing pumpkins vibe. So I was just like, Oh, I really love this. I was very happy with them. Um, the artist is really great, though. Yeah, I, I, it's one of those covers you could just stare at for a couple of minutes and look at the clock and think to yourself, gee, where did the time go? That actually happens a lot when we're podcasting, and we know you've uh, got a, a busy schedule. So we wanted to uh, thank you so much, Sydney Flanagan, again. It's been a pleasure. I've loved uh, talking to you, and it's, it's always a treat to get to talk about another film from Sundance because I'm still... In October, November, Jesus, um, in November, coasting on Sundance Energy. So hopefully that doesn't uh, happen anytime soon. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me. It's really nice having a little chat and, you know, trying to, I don't know, trying to feel a little lighter amongst everything that's going on. Well, you know, that's kind of one of the beauty of podcasts. People um, get to get outside the doom and gloom of uh, social media or the mainstream media and uh you know it, film aficionados can uh find community even though we're all uh so far apart and uh so thank you again for coming on and for everybody listening thank you so much we will see you next time <laughs>